trust that many of you have heard the story, business person who uh, was pretty successful. Uh, in fact, their corporations kept growing, their holdings kept growing. Uh, they built bigger storage facilities, uh, increased their tax shelters, all of the different things that needed to be done to accommodate this growing wealth. The person worked hard uh, and eventually came to a point in their life uh, where they felt like they could relax. Uh, I have enough, I, I should be fine for retirement and so on and so forth. Uh, only that evening to suffer a heart attack and to pass away and to meet the Lord on the other side of glory, as we might say. I trust that you've heard this story because it's a story that Jesus himself told in Luke chapter 12, uh, which is really a sister passage for this. It's about a man who uh, gained more and more. Uh, he tore down his old barns. He built bigger barns. Uh, he talked to himself. He said, self, I uh, think that we have enough. And that very night he passed away and he met the Lord and the Lord said to him, you fool. You fool. Uh, tonight your life will be required of you. And though you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so it is. Uh, the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich uh, towards God. Here Jesus in this, uh, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, is continuing to address the issues of our heart. And he's already touched on a lot of things that are just incredibly practical, and we've, we've said that in, in his kindness, and it really is such a, a kind uh, sermon, a way that he gets in and he helps us to see ourselves with more clarity than we otherwise would see ourselves. And he's talked to us about things like anger, and he's talked to us about things like uh, lust and truth-telling and all of these different things. And, and now he wants to talk to us about money. Uh, Jesus talks about money a lot. If you read the Friday letter, you notice some statistics. You know, there are uh, about 500 times in the scriptures where we are encouraged to pray, which makes sense. Prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. There's about 500 times in the scriptures where Jesus or where others, this is throughout the whole scriptures, they talk about faith, and that makes sense because prayer and faith go together. But there are about 2,000 times in scriptures where the topic of money is addressed, the topic of our heart's connection to possessions and the things of this world. Four times uh, the amount that they talk about prayer. There, uh, Jesus, 16 of his 38 parables address the issues of money in one way, shape, or form. 25%, if you go through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke is just full of these sort of exhortations. 25% of Jesus' teaching address the topic of money. I can't imagine a contemporary church uh, preaching one out of four Sundays uh, on the topic of money. Like, what, what would that be like? How would that feel? Um, 
But these are the statistics. Why? Because Jesus wants us to understand that we can only love one thing uh, in our lives. So, as we dive into this passage, I want to do it by just asking three questions. You know, what is it uh, that Jesus is teaching? What is the principle that He's holding before us? You know, why such strong warnings when it comes to money? And then what is the way forward for Jesus' followers? We have here, uh, Jesus is walking through, He's giving His teachings, He's already laid out the Beatitudes, uh, the Beatitudes which have signaled to us that Jesus is not only concerned about behavior. It's not that He's not concerned about behavior, I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, but He's more concerned about the motives, uh, the heart uh, animations that, that give life to that behavior. We saw that last week as we looked at these spiritual disciplines of, of giving, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, and the issue was where is your heart with regards to that? And now he begins to spin that out, and he is going to talk about uh, specifically the treasure principle that we have here with these three little illustrations. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we can rest in that and how we can uh, rely on God, how it addresses things like anxiety and worry and all of that. Uh, but this morning, we have these three little illustrations, three little stories. You have the treasure, you have the eye, and you have the issue of masters. Three stories, each of them with two choices. Uh, you can either have a treasure in heaven or a treasure on earth. You can either have light or darkness. You can either serve God or mammon, or uh, the other translation for that would be money. But what Jesus' point is, is that there's only one right answer. There is only one thing that is really going to give you life, that's really going to give you joy. Uh, three stories, two choices, but only one right answer. So again, this is the idea of the heart. What is, where is your heart in your journey through life? What is it fixated on? As I mentioned, Jesus does care about uh, the actions. You can actually look in Matthew 23, verse 23. Some of you will be familiar with that passage. It's the passage of the woes. And there in, in verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, uh, for you tithe the mint, dill, and the cumin. Uh, and, and what he's saying is here, you scrupulously tithe of the things uh, that, you, uh, that are laid before you, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And so he's saying things like justice and mercy and generosity, all of these things you haven't done. But then he says you should have done the former without neglecting the latter. So he is not saying that we shouldn't be scrupulous in terms of our tithing and how we give and all of those things. Like there, there is sort of a bottom line to our giving and to our generosity. So by saying, by connecting it to the heart, 
He's not saying that there isn't a standard that we should follow. But he wants us to understand that where our heart is, there our treasure will be also. That it will actually betray what it is that we care most about. And you see that in each of these stories. You know, the treasure equals the heart. Uh, the master is about love. You will either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. It's about an affection. It's about an orientation. It's about a settled restedness on this thing, whatever it is that you are following. Uh, the eye is, uh, is telling us the same thing. The eye in, in, he, in, in this Aramaic culture is, is very much the thing that controls your body. And, and that's true for us as well. We recognize that. Like where we look, uh, it leads us. Our eyes can make us sick if you get dizzy or if you're on a roller coaster or something like that. You know, as you see and as you undulate and as you go through this, you can become ill because of what you see. The eye is the window to the soul. This is how one writer puts it. You can often tell how things are with people by the message that is relayed through their eyes. You can see what is down inside, whether it's jealousy, prejudice, resentment, greed, lust. Uh, these are like films that creep over the eye and distort uh, the vision. But what Jesus is saying here is that it's our money, it's our possessions, it's the stuff of this life that is like the eye. It operates in that way. The point then, again quoting, is to ask what is your guiding light? What is the single internal organizing principle or orientation of one's life? And that's what Jesus is asking. Uh, and, and he's saying, it can't be anything besides me. It can't be anything that you set your heart on uh, other than the finished work of Jesus. We oftentimes ask ourselves these diagnostic questions. They're not original to us. David Paulison, Tim Keller, others have uh, said, what, what is it that you are relying on for your security you know, what are you putting your trust in? We saw that in Luke 12. The, the man says, now that he's built the bigger barns, I can relax. I have goods stored up for me. We have our 401ks. We have our investments. We have our property. We, we have what we feel we need in order to get through life. We have a good uh, cash flow. We can relax. We can trust. Like, what... What, do, what are we trusting in for our security? What are we trusting in for our significance? Uh, and, and oftentimes our, our checkbooks, our, our bank accounts are connected to that because if I have the right car, if I can go to the right school and afford that, if I can, um, if I can hang around with the right crowd, if I can keep up with the Joneses, poor Joneses, I don't know. Uh, why he's always trying to keep up with them. But uh, um, if I can just do that, 
then my, my status, my significance, I will be seen, I will matter, I will, I will be known. You know, so the, those two questions, what, what, is, what, is my, what is my security, what is my significance, they help us un, uh, unearth what it is we are trusting we are trusting in. The other side of that, if, if you really want to dig into this, which is certainly something that Jesus is recommending that we do, is, is what do you fear? Because uh, your fears are, are the cracks that help you down into your own hearts to see, see those things. Am I fearing that I, I will be alone uh, am I fearing that I won't have enough? Am I fearing that, you know, I'll live my life and I just won't matter? How we try to answer those questions often speaks to our security and our significance. Now, just to note, you know, how we answer these things aren't, they're not necessarily bad things. Uh, money in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a gift that comes down from the Father in heaven. Uh, some of the, the men and women who have walked this earth have, have been and been noted for their righteousness, for their friendship with God, for being close to God, have been some of the wealthiest people that have walked the earth. I think of folks like Job and David and Queen Esther and, you know, all these different folks that have had plenty of this world's goods, uh, but their hearts, have been de- uh, their hearts have been devoted to the Lord. So it's not that these things in and of themselves are bad. It's not that your college degree is bad. It's not that your relationships are bad. That's, that's not what is being taught here. But they can't be ultimate. And that's what Jesus is saying. Only one thing in life can be ultimate, and I must be that one thing. Why such strong warnings? The the second question here for this morning, because they are strong warnings. I mean, you you see, do not lay up for yourselves treasures uh, on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He, he starts it with a strong uh, adjournment to, to not do this thing. Do not lay up. When he talks about the eye, he says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I mean, there, there is a sense in which this becomes pervasive. If we become enamored with the things of this world and what they offer us in terms of our significance and in terms of our security, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he goes on to say, if the light in you is darkness, which is difficult for us to perceive and to uh, to really acknowledge sometimes. But if that is the case, how great is the darkness? And, and that's a really frightening thing. Uh, I think when Jesus says that, he's, you can be so deluded, he's saying, that what you think is light is actually darkness. And, and when you are in that state, how great is the darkness. That's why Jesus says to this man in Luke chapter 12, he says, you fool. You, you fool. You, you haven't reckoned with the fact 
that there is an eternity. You have been so focused on the present, the here and now. Why is it that these warnings are, are so strong? I suggest three things to you. The first is, is this. Um, we, we have the power to delude ourselves. I just alluded to that. Uh, it, it is such a slippery slope. It's like the fish who says, what is water? Uh, we, we just become a part of it. It becomes a part of us. Uh, we see things. Our, our culture uh, reiterates messages. You don't have this. You, you need this. If you have this, you will be secured. If you don't have this, you uh, won't be secured or you won't be significant. All of these different things. And, and it's so hard to sometimes see what we're wearing, or in the case of the emperor, what we're not wearing. We've been so convinced that, that we are properly clothed that we don't realize that we are actually empty before the one thing that really matters. Uh, and, and that is what Jesus is saying. If, if your light, the thing that you think that you're seeing by, is darkness, then how great is your darkness? Secondly, um, you know, we note that even with God, uh, there is this, uh, well, let me, let me talk about others first. I mean, think about it in terms of self, others, and God. You know, we are to love the Lord our God above all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we are, are connected, when we've got a security and significance in worldly things rather than in God. We delude ourselves and we, we rob our relationships with others. So interesting, um, I mentioned Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke chapter 12, which is very much a companion to this. You're going to see that. He, he talks about the parable that I mentioned, that I started with, and then he talks about don't be anxious, which is very much a parallel with our passage for next week that immediately follows this one. Uh, and then he says this, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we'll, we'll come back to that idea. You know, we, we are to rest in who God is because he's giving us the kingdom. But then he says, sell your possessions, give to, your, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. How is it that we are to live with our possessions? We're, we're to live in an attitude of generosity. Uh, that sees the other people in our lives, that cares for them, that invites them in, that draws closer, that recognizes that what God has given us, He has given us in order to share. This is what Timothy says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, which would be definitely be another passage that I would recommend for you. He says, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, uh, but to set them on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Again, it's not bad. Enjoy it. God is the one who has given you the gifts. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. These same themes keep coming up. 
You know, God has given us this world's goods in order that we enjoy it, and we enjoy it through our generosity. We enjoy it through sharing with others. We enjoy it uh, through this bounty, not that we hoard, not that we put away, make sure that our security and our significance is cared for, but that shows forth the same generosity that God has shown forth with us. So when we do not see rightly, we delude ourselves We rob ourselves of relationships uh, that can be deepened and expanded through generosity. And and lastly, we live at risk uh, in our relationship with God. You certainly see that with the one who is called the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, but you also see it here in, in verse 24. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, If your eye is dark, if you are deluded in that way, we have to reckon with the fact that our hearts then are not fully surrendered to the Lord. So where do we go from here? I mean, this is the principle. This is the danger of the warning. Uh, and, And there have been those that have reckoned with the fact that this issue might be the most pressing issue that is facing the Western church. Uh, it's so interesting, you know, we, we tend to think about so many other things culturally, uh, sexuality, all of these other different things, and we put our finger on this, and, and yet we don't talk about uh, materialism, and we don't talk about how easily we can get sucked into this. Tim Keller, in uh, talking about this passage, talking about money, he recounts a church discipline case in uh, in New England states, you know, back before I think the country was even officially formed. And the church brought discipline against uh, one of their members uh, for taking a 6% profit on what they were doing. Now, the number is not significant. I, I think which was, what was significant in that story is that, A, the church was thinking about this. It was thinking, like, there is, there is something that we, there's a standard. They had set the standard as 4%. Like, 4% was the right amount of profit that you could take for your business ventures. But somewhere, some people came together and said, this matters. And, and, and we're, we're going to agree to live by this standard. And then they held people accountable to that, which I think is also significant. And I wonder, you know, are we at the point where we are holding each other accountable to how we are using our goods uh, and how we are serving one another? So what is the way forward? I want to suggest two things. Uh, and, and these are not my ideas. I'm always grateful for this group that I study with on Tuesday mornings, and I think it was actually Linda DeYoung who said, uh, application, wrestle and rest. Uh, wrestle. On the one hand, uh, wrestle with your finances. It, it was so interesting for me just going through this, this last couple of weeks and, and thinking about it, just all the little things that I don't think about over the course of a week. 
uh, how I spend my money. What does it say about the orientation of my heart? Uh, wrestle with it individually. Would we dare wrestle with it corporately in your C groups, uh, with a friend group? Uh, say, you know, here, here is my last year. You know, here's roughly how much we made. Here's uh, some of the ways that we gave. Uh, here are some of the projects or trips that we took. You know, what do you think? How do we pray through this? How do we think about this? So again, it, it, those things are not bad, and I don't, I, I wouldn't want anybody to feel like, you know, the blessings that God gives us in our life are bad. But when we truly recognize them as blessings, the orientation of our heart will begin to respond to that. Are we willing to wrestle both individually, corporately, with the things that God has given to us? You know, as we take these vows of membership, uh, are we willing to say, yeah, I, I need the wisdom of this body because if the light in me is dark, how great is that darkness? Uh, is my light dimmed? But here's the last thing, and, and this is so important. We absolutely have to rest in the fact that there is a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, what we have been talking about throughout is that God is not interested in an external righteousness. Not that it's not important. I think we've already said that uh, this, uh, the course of this morning. But, but God is not primarily interested in that. That's how the Pharisees operated. That's how the, the church leaders operated. They said, if I simply do this, then I have met the demands of the law. If I simply tithe my mint, my dill, and my cumin, if I, scrupulously at 10%, that, that's not the kind of righteousness that is going to get us in. And so, if you think that just simply behavior change is what is the answer to this, then I've done a bad job communicating or we've, we've missed the point. What, what God wants us to understand is that you are His treasure. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And with the same breath, He tells us that you, we as His people, are His treasure. We are His treasured possession out of all of the peoples, those that He has set His love and affection on, those that have surrendered their hearts to Him. He is the one. Uh, that has given up himself 100%. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. Jesus gave himself 100%, spent fully, that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And what God wants his people to hear is that you have everything. 
You have all that you need, no matter what your bank account is, no matter what your holdings are for the future, no matter how big your barns are, no matter how many friends you have, no matter how many letters you have behind your name, whatever you are looking to for your, stat, for your status, for your significance, for your security, whatever you are hoping in, it cannot compare to understanding that you are God's treasure. And that he has spent his blood 100% for you. As we come to the table, this is what we profess. Yes, Lord, I am your treasure and you are mine. You are my great king. By you, I see the world. Some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, I see the sun, but because by it, I see everything else. That is the light. That is the light that Jesus is inviting us into this morning. A light that will see everything as he has made it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. It is uh, truly incisive uh, as it comes into our hearts, but we also recognize that it is truly gracious. Uh, as we think about things that can choke out the faith, certainly you have identified that the goods of this world, our own pursuit of significance and security, uh, can choke out a, a dependence, a rest on you. So, Lord, we pray that as a congregation, you would help us to wrestle uh, with these realities, to wrestle with our own hearts, to wrestle in community. We pray that you would help us to rest on the finished work of Jesus. For God so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever should believe on him should not perish, uh, but have everlasting lives. We are the recipients of uh, divine generosity. Uh, may it stir up in us uh, a similar response. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.